This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. Um, Our day here on 640 Toronto will likely revolve around previewing, broadcasting live and reviewing what's going to take place in London, Ontario today. And that is, I, I think, a moment in which some people never quite saw it happening. And really, most people didn't know there was anything to happen or to speculate about until it was around summer of 2022. I will tell you, because I've got eh, more than average placement of sources in the hockey community around April of 22. And I remember it distinctly because the Leafs were in their playoff series at that point in time with the Tampa Bay Lightning. And you started to hear something's going to pop with Hockey Canada. There's something that happened with World Junior players a few summers ago. And you start to hear that. You start to place your own text messages and phone calls. I'm hearing this from this person and this person simultaneously. That's too much of a coincidence. And then you try and get to the heart of the heart of the matter. But bottom lining it, we all started to hear about this close to two years ago. Hockey Canada was mired in uh, this scandal in 2022. But the bottom line is this. Uh, police have charged five members of the 2018 team with sexual assault. They'll announce those charges today. And four players who are current NHLers, at least until a few weeks ago, before they took leaves from their respective teams, uh, will appear either in person or by a video link up later today. One other player, a guy named Alex Formenton, played for the Ottawa Senators, was on that team, uh, but wasn't didn't have his contract renewed. Now, people didn't raise a lot of questions about that um, because he just went to Switzerland and play. And if anything, he was a little disappointing for where he was drafted. But bottom line, people weren't speculating then about Alex Formenton. But he'll be one of five uh, charged today. They've all denied wrongdoing. They've all said they'll fight the charges. And this might be it, like for a long time in terms of information. These players aren't going to be back playing in the league. It doesn't seem like this year. And I'm going to play you a clip from Gary Bettman later in the hour, who's the commissioner of the NHL. And he was pretty forceful on Friday, even though it should be up to the teams. You can tell already conversations have been had with the league and with these particular teams that that isn't going to be the case. Um, None of them have contracts that pertain past this summer either. Uh, They should get paid. They have a right, obviously, to defend themselves and they they shouldn't be uh, castigated out by the teams. Now, the teams could cut them and say, we're going to pay you, but now you're absolutely no longer a part of our team, and you're not just on a leave of absence anymore. That's possible that that will happen. But there's going to be ramifications for those teams if these players someday, and this is way down the line, someday are acquitted of these particular charges, or if the, or if the charges don't stand up and the case falls apart before you even get to potentially an acquittal. I don't have a feel for how this is going to go. I know two things that I've, I think I've talked about last week when it was looked fairly obvious that this day would come. One, I think this is going to be a very tricky case to get a conviction in, uh, in part because some of the text messages between one of the players um, and the alleged victim the day after all this happened. And it's really easy to say, can you imagine the frame of mind she was in? This is documented that this uh, woman's mother Uh, found her crying in the shower the next morning and there was a conversation that started to develop as to what happened and next thing you know the police are called later that day so you can imagine the trauma uh, involved with that woman regardless of whether 
she believes she clearly believes that that something happened that was non-consensual and regardless of as to whether the players do and i would and the second thing i would note is what we don't know yet that is going to be you know remarkably intriguing from a legal perspective is is are all the players going to want separate trials will they be on trial will they be the hockey canada five all defending themselves against in essence the exact same charges or are we going trial by trial by trial Usually it doesn't work that way when you're all convicted of the same crime, but then there's a knowledge that five players may have differing levels of, how would I put it, guilt and, and, uh, and intent. And that's going to be also incredibly interesting for this particular case. Don't rule out the possibility, and I don't know whether this has ever transpired in someone you know and their existence, but don't rule out the possibility that clearly there's copious amounts of alcohol involved. They There was the text message the next day documented that uh, the woman mentioned how drunk she was and how drunk the players were. She did say some things happened that I didn't like, but there was never a sense in the text messages of this is what you did to me and it wasn't right. She just said, I, I know I was in the wrong too. I was fine with you. I wasn't fine with the other guys. That was the tone and that was the, you know, basically carriage of the text messages. And what I think we're not ready for yet in the courtroom, and again, this is months away, is whether or not the the men charged here fully, completely, in their heart of hearts, believe something was consensual. And her, in her own heart, believes that it wasn't. That's a divide there about totally not understanding. You could have an argument that's totally misunderstood by two people. You could have an incident that is only violent in nature, that is totally understood about who started it and what ended up happening. And that's why we have a legal system. And that's why uh, there should be jurisprudence going forward from this day on. But there's going to be a long patch of silence about this. You're not going to hear from any of the uh, you know main players involved. Um, and you really won't today either. This is just for the police to lay this out, and they'll do that around 2 o'clock this afternoon. Tomorrow in uh, Toronto City Council, they don't meet today, but they'll get back to debating what is a, I think, some controversy about the police budget. We had lots of city councilors on the show on Friday, and I'll lay out some of the controversy. Bottom line is the Toronto police don't think they're getting enough of a budget. They wanted $20 million added to a near $1.2 billion budget this year. Um, $12.6 million is the difference between what the city is offering and what the police want. And Myron Demke, the police chief, has been out there. He was uh, in studio with Anthony Fury on Friday, um, who's in for Alex Pearson. They'll both be on the show today and more on that as the morning continues. But we had two city councilors on documenting that they're going to fight. They're not giving this up yet. And they want to fight for uh, the cops getting in essence, their ask or pretty close to it. Here's former Toronto Deputy Mayor Jennifer McKelvey documenting the need for a bigger police budget than Olivia Chow has currently allotted. Well, I support giving the, the police the full ask of the Toronto Police Services Board. This is a $17 billion budget, and the mayor has said that the budget is about protecting services. So in my mind, that's why we need to ensure that we keep the windrow clearing service and we give the police their full ask. Response times in the city of Toronto are currently 22 minutes. Can you imagine it is like the worst moment in your life mm -hmm. and you are calling police and you may need to wait 22 minutes for somebody to be there? Like that's just 
not acceptable. I also know that we're losing our officers to other regions and uh, they are exhausted, they are overworked and they can work in other municipalities where they have less work and the cases are less complex. And that's starting to happen. And it was a great point that McKelvey made. Less scrutiny, same money, lower cost of living, less of a commute time, less complications in terms of uh, crime. There's just less frequent crime. Those are a lot more appealing jobs. I just listed four reasons why not being a Toronto cop and being a Kitchener cop or a London cop or a Barry cop, you're going to have some complexities that weren't there 10 years ago, but you're going to feel a little differently about it. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news. Today's talk. 640 Toronto. NBC has announced plans for a spinoff to the hit series Suits, which will be set in Los Angeles. It will focus on Meghan Markle's character's struggle to balance her legal career while also caring for an unemployed immigrant. I mean, he does have a job, although he's not a podcaster anymore and he's not a, a documentary maker anymore. Those are hard jobs. Broadcasting world, that's not that easy. I, I'm sure Harry knew that going into it. He didn't think it'd be easy, did he? Uh, that's from Saturday Night Live uh, over the weekend. We've got a phenomenal, phenomenal audio coming up in a little bit and maybe the highlight of the Grammy Awards, although uh, we did notice uh, Canadian Sean Tooze, Celine Dion, making an appearance, um, and we haven't seen very much of her publicly really in close to four years now. Um, she announced diagnosis of stiff person syndrome in late 2022, trying to work her way back. She's trying to get back to the stage. Obviously, hasn't played a concert since uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and almost everybody else who wants to tour has been able to get back out on the road. Um, but that was that caught a lot of people by surprise last night. So did another moment that we'll get to in just a little bit. But a surprising uh, Toronto weekend moment. And I know our producer, Sheba Siddiqui, spent some of the weekend uh, in the downtown area. You didn't see this guy, did you? I did not see this guy. Why don't you tell everybody who this Um, guy is? There's an Instagram clip that started making the rounds Saturday, I guess late Saturday going into Sunday. Um, And it's it's Batman. Is there any other way to put it? It's Batman, and it looks like he's... Someone's been in a car crash in the Toronto area. And uh, next thing you know... You see video, someone shooting it from like through their front window of their car. And it's Batman like in full. This isn't like the 60s cartoon Batman with some long underwear on. He's decked out. This is black. Exactly. Kevlar. He's got the head thing, the cape, and he's pushing the real deal. The costume. Yeah. This looks like a kind of a maroon colored uh, SUV. It looks like a Mazda, to be honest, like one of those CX-9s. And and he's pushing a car that was in some collision in the intersection. And he's moving it. So I showed my kids this video. Yeah. And I mean, the younger ones were like, he's moving the car by himself. He's pushing it. That's how strong he is, mommy. I'm like, oh, it's a neutral kid. <laughs> yeah, they may have the, well, he, maybe even the car's in reverse, but it's hard to tell <laughs> right there. Then he goes around the back of the car, does something behind the hood. Here's where he gives it up, though. He starts kind of walking like a normal person. And he then he directs traffic really briefly for a couple seconds. But then he's just walking like a guy on the way to a Halloween party. But when he's pushing the car, Shiba, he looks like Batman. Yes, he does. And it's this, very convincing. This was uh, this has gotten fifty thousand likes. This is on the Six Buzz uh, Instagram account. Fifty thousand people have liked it. Thousands of people commented on it. And there was some speculation that this was in uh, Brampton, and someone affixed the nickname to him, uh, Brampman. So I don't know if that'll take off. <laughs> 
<laughs> does does Bram does Brampton need Brampmans? Yes, no, you're, sometimes one, he does. This is not Patrick Brown in costume. The you mayor. Stay Brampton. away from Brampmans. That's the rule in life. Brampmans. Single ladies. <laughs> Danger. You swipe swipe left instead of right yes. uh, for Brampman. Anyway, this is really Hank and Zinga's coming up. Our uh, our you know former cop on the beat. He must have seen some vigilantes here and there. Uh, you know, dressed up in some Kevlar and some latex and some rubber and i'm uh, being too graphic with all the stuff that that men wear but this was a plot point by the way in uh the grant the oscar winning movie uh certainly for heath ledger as the joker the dark knight have a listen don't let me find you out here again we're trying to help you i don't need help not my diagnosis what gives you the right what's the difference between you and me i'm not wearing hockey pants and then he just would talk normally as Bruce Wayne, but he would kind of, when he was Batman, it's just an odd uh, vocal thing. Uh, speaking of vocal things, uh, we had this from last night. And I know you and uh, Gord started talking about the fast car duet between Tracy Chapman and Luke Combs. And I bounded down the stairs, yelled to everybody in my house, put on the Grammys. And I saw the last 45 seconds of it live. Incredible. You gave, gave it you goosebumps. It brought you were me saying. to tears. You know what it was? This is where a producer is so important, Gregory Brady, because whoever produced this, the way that they started off, they zoomed in on the guitar. So you see the guitar, you hear the riff at the beginning, and I'm thinking, oh, cool, it's going to be Luke Combs. Right, Luke Combs, that's his guitar, that's what he's doing. And then they start panning out so slowly in the dark, and you see these these darker hands, and I'm thinking, I don't know, does he, does he have a tan today? What's going on? And then the light sort of shines on her face, and you, it takes your breath away. Because we haven't seen her out in public in almost two decades. Yeah. So for her to be out there, and it just, I, I gasped. And like my husband and I just stopped at what we were doing and watched the entire thing. And it brought me to tears because it was so beautiful. And he really, truly honored her. You can see the respect for the song. And I learned something last night. You've seen her live. Yeah, I saw her at Kingswood in uh, like the Canada's Wonderland venue in 1992. Incredible. When- so she has to go on tour now. Yeah. She- I'm sorry, she needs to go. I know she's been hiding out. She's very shy. She likes to live, live like a little bit of a reclusive life. You need to go on tour, Tracy, because we all want to see you live. That was beautiful. But you made a great point. Like, like that's, that's certainly a case of, of absence making the heart grow fonder and the case of somebody that is just so well respected. And... She's 59. Luke Combs is 33. Wow. So you really has passed on it. She's That's a quarter. 59. Bra- quarter century. Brady. She looks incredible. Right. Look at that. No Botox. No fillers. No plastic surgery. The gray hair. This is how it's done. This is what beauty is. Yeah. And I'm not. Look, Luke Combs is 33. I'm, I'm not. I'm not not throwing bombs. I want Luke Combs to look that good at 59, well, Gore, but we gotta we gotta make some changes. But one step to Luke ahead gotta, be, before that even started the song, they did a video piece with Luke Combs, and he said by the time he could learn how to sing and talk and walk and play the guitar, Fast Car was part of his life. Yes, so I it's been that. the fabric of his life since he picked up a guitar. So but, it's even more special. So they did this last night, and I remember Tracy Chapman's song is 1988, by the way. And I'm in high school. That was the song of the summer on like camp stereos and and on Walkmans and whatnot. Like this is even before I think is just as we were getting into the CD era. And, you know, they give away Best New Artist at the Grammys. And Tracy Chapman won Best New Artist in, like, the 1989 Grammys for being who she was. She beat out Rick Astley. You can imagine how hard I took that, Sheba, at that point in time. Oh, she deserves it. She deserves all the love. 
Uh, that was my absolute favorite moment of the Grammys. I was planning on going to bed, and then I saw that. And I thought, okay, I have to stay up for the whole thing. Here was another announcement that's coming up in April. Okay. I want to say thank you to the fans by telling you a secret that I've been keeping from you for the last two years, which is that my brand new album comes out April 19th. It's called, <laughs> it's called the Tortured Poets Department. I'm gonna go and post the cover right now backstage. Thank you, I love you, thank you. So the cover looks great. Taylor Swift has a brand new album for the last two years that she's been working on. No one saw this coming, no one had any idea. And here's the thing, she's coming to Toronto this year in November. Yeah, so those who have seen her already, which you have on this particular I have, tour. I there are gonna be new songs on this tour. That's right. I need to go in Toronto now. Yeah. I always felt like you'd go in and find your way to one of those November shows uh, this year. Uh, so, yeah, her 11th album at age, uh, at, at rather remarkable, at age 31, is just incredible uh, to get album 11 uh, out. And, of course, Super Bowl this weekend, so she's a busy woman. This is Toronto Today with Greg Brady. Toronto's news, today's talk. 640 Toronto. It's Toronto Today. It's uh, Greg Brady. Tracy Chapman, we were just talking about. Um, her song went only, it was a number one hit in Canada, Fast Car, her very first debut single. That's why she won Best New Artist at the Grammys. But it only went to number six in the United States. And I would have lost money this morning thinking it was a number one hit. I'll give you the three songs that kept Tracy Chapman's Fast Car from number one. A couple others did as well. But in the summer of 88, Roll With It by Steve Winwood. That's, I, I might have been the, the un, most unhip 16-year-old there was on the planet because I love that song. Uh, Higher Love, Roll With It. I, was, I, had an, I had a bit of an adult contemporary uh, genetics issue uh, in my mid-teens. I'll give you that. George Michael's Monkey. Everything by George Michael was going to number one off that Faith album. That's true. And Sweet Child of Mine by Guns N' Roses. When we all got back to school, GNR was it from fall of 88 all the way through 89. Um, with uh, Paradise City and uh, Sweet Child of Mine and Welcome to the Jungle. It's all you heard uh, coming out of car stereo. So those three songs kept Tracy Chapman from uh, number one. Eric Ham is our friend and uh, TMU economics professor. Uh, you, you're you a fast car era person, uh, Tracy Chapman. You know the song really well. Hi, Greg. You know what? It was an amazing moment last night. Um, being born in 67, I was an undergrad in 1988 at York University and I remember very well when fast cars came out and I don't want to make this sound mushy about how we all had our 60s Berkeley moment but for many of us uh in the 20 21 year old age range that was kind of our song that we hooked on to that was our slow methodical made you think about your life type of song and the truth is then she did give me another good reason and and we like tracy chapman but she kind of vanished and yeah. last night was just a very emotional moment when as sheba said they turned on the lights and you were like oh my god there's tracy chapman she sounds as good as ever and for about three and a half minutes it was 1988 again and you can't pay for moments like that in your life i found by the way now this is probably what made your blood boil in the summer i found the article and i'd referenced it in a show in the summer when this song was all over the charts i remember going away for a week and i heard luke combs's fast car like every five minutes on the radio where i were i was driving but uh the article in the washington post tracy chapman luke Combs and the complicated response to Fast Car and I'm like there's nothing complicated about it um here's here's a bunch of white people 
uh, getting fussy about Luke Combs having a single and, and feeling like, oh, the poor black artist. She's I'm like, A, she authorized the song. B, she approved the cover. She loved it. C, last time I checked, she wrote it. So you get uh, residuals for that if it's a big hit, which uh, certainly, you know, helps pay the mortgage. And D, there she is on stage with him. So like people, if Tracy Chapman was really upset, I'd leave it to Tracy Chapman to say something. But you know how the you know how it is these days. Uh, e, we live in a litigious society where everyone's <laughs> trying to pit somebody against somebody else. If it took this country singer um, 30 years, almost 40 years to bring this song back to prominence, that's a good thing. And anybody who can access Google can figure out who wrote it, who made it famous. It was a wonderful moment for Tracy Chapman. But you know what? It was a wonderful moment for us 50 somethings to go back and remember a song that really had an effect on our lives. Um, let's get to uh, foreign cap on students. Uh, I know when we last spoke last week, this was in the works for international students at Canadian universities. And I, I won't absolve universities, but I- Eric, you and I know this has been more about an issue with d- the diploma mills. It's been an issue with community colleges and satellite colleges. What did you see in the legislation that makes it more hopeful for the system to write itself? I think that this was necessary in the long run, but boy, make no mistake, this is going to have some effect on the short run. And I see it as a three level effect. And if we go from top to bottom and I use that term loosely, I don't think it's going to really rock the universities that terribly because universities have a really heterogeneous um, set of students. They come from a lot of places, by a lot of incomes and a lot of different characteristics. But if you go to the colleges where most of the students are international, I think it's going to have a huge effect, especially since they just took away the old rule where if you came into a community college and got a two-year diploma, it was kind of a backdoor into permanent residency. And they removed that. So I think that's going to be very bad for the colleges. And then, as you said, number three, what they call these professional diploma mills, where they promise you the moon and the stars and offer you nothing but homelessness and shelters for food. I think it's going to wipe those out. Mm. And I don't mean to sound like an entitled professor, but I think it should wipe those out because they sell students a bill of goods. Yeah, it's been terrible. Um, And again, what I think where I think there's been some maturity in the conversation, Eric, is I think people recognize this isn't about some kind of, you know, ethnocentrism or xenophobia. This is about if you come here, I want you to have the best shot for your education. I want I want the promises that somebody made you, be it the school or be it somebody who recruited you. I, I want those promises to be fulfilled. And those clearly aren't happening for a lot of kids coming from other countries. It's no different than any other immigration policy. If you're going to bring people into your country, you at least have to set them up for success. You can't have people sleeping on the sidewalks all summer, except, oh, heavens, we did that. So in a university or a college sense, you've got to at least offer people housing. Let me give you one example from my own university. A lot of students are shocked to hear that if you live within, are you sitting down, 300 kilometers of the GTA, you don't get residence space at TMU. And a lot of people were in uproar about that, saying that that's absolutely pathetic. It's not pathetic. It means that if you get offered residence space at TMU, it's guaranteed. You're going to have a place to live and you're not going to be sleeping at Sankofa Square. So this was necessary. It was important. But it's Mm. going to be tough in the short run for a lot of students who are going to realize I have to scratch Toronto off my list of places to go. Please don't use that name. Um, <laughs> it's not official yet. I, I, I'm holding out hope on the Sankofa Square uh, issue. Aren't you? 
Oh, I'm holding out a lot of hope that a lot of things aren't going to happen, but I'm going to play by the rules and 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 be a good corporate, you know, citizen. Wonderful. So, when in Rome. Yeah. Um, let's get to the World Cup and the economic impact uh, of it. Uh, for people who don't know, a uh, bit of a you know showy one-hour show yesterday. Six matches in Toronto. We kind of figured they were going to up it from five to six. So it's five group stage matches. Canada playing one at least and six here. But bottom line is, um, it's a premier event. It's going to be spread out. Those six matches are spread out over two and a half weeks. So it is a little bit of a mini Olympics, but the, the emphasis being there's only six games. But... This is a I think it's a critical thing to get this right for the city, Eric, to for it to look not like it did this weekend. NHL All-Star Game is sort of a speck on the map compared to what the World Cup is in terms of the eyes of the world, the potential for tourism. We got to have our city running a lot better, looking a lot better two and a half years from now, plain and simple. This is it. This is Toronto's moment. We are either going to look like bumbling idiots like Montreal did in the 70s. Or we're going to actually come forward and say that we do resemble a world-class city. And I actually have some positive about this. Now, let me just preface this. I would never, never give the people who run this city an Olympics. That is way too much money with way too much incompetence. And it would put the city into bankruptcy. But I do believe in multiplier effects. I do believe when you spend public money toward private things, sometimes there's a benefit. And the sometimes is this. We don't have to build a stadium. We have to alter a stadium. We don't have to build a stadium. And because of that simple fact, I think this thing can be a success. I think it can make money. And whether you call it multipliers or trickle down, it's going to bring a lot of people to Toronto to spend a lot of money. And I actually think this one is the right scope and the right scale to be positive on the ledger side. But make no mistake, the world isn't just watching the athletes. The world is watching to see if Toronto is going to fumble the ball like many other cities who have hosted big-time events. Yeah, we can't can't be having, you know, we can't control the weather. There's a lot we won't be able to control, Eric, but no orange cones. The sidewalks have to look great. Everything's got to be tidied up. Young and Dundas Square. That's got to look a lot different than it does 28 months from now than it does on on this Monday, uh, February 5th, right? It has to. Everything. Everything, Greg, has to look different, sound different, feel different. The TTC better be running. I don't want to hear that something, uh, you know, a mouse ran on the tracks at St. George Station. No, this is it. The window of the world is watching Toronto. So everybody who's in a public policy position, which I am not, realize this. Make good decisions do work early and realize that we do not want to be mm. saying 50 years from now that they should never have given us the fill in the blank event the way they do with Mayor Drapeau and Montreal in the Olympics. This is it. Mm. This is our chance to shine. Hear all that. Uh, thanks for the insight, Eric. Appreciate the, uh, the uh, segment. We'll talk next Monday. Stay healthy, Greg. Eric Camp joining us, uh, Toronto Metropolitan University economics professor. For most of us, crime is something we see on the news. We never think it could happen to us until it does. Loved ones are gone, and for the survivors, the scars will never heal. I'm Nancy Hickst, a senior crime reporter for Global News. And on this season of Crime Beat, I'll take you inside some of the most serious crime stories I've covered. Season six of Crime Beat is available now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and all podcast platforms.